Hi, Ben. James, how are you? I don't know if everybody listening had their mind blown as much as I did just then. It actually made me nervous to do that. It's like we we are at 100 episodes and we have never deviated from the script. And here we are deviating from the script and it actually made me nervous. <laughs> well, you, you, know, you are a bit of a nervous Nelly. Ah, uh, guilty. <laughs> do, they, do they say nervous Nelly in Australia? I, I think if you accuse someone of being a nervous Nelly in Australia, people would know exactly what you're talking about. So, yes, I, <laughs> nervous Nelly is probably fair. Very good. We are, in, indeed, we are at 100 episodes of Exponent. It has been, when we start, uh, 2014, early 2014, with uh, a, couple, a couple breaks, including the summers, but we've made it. So, congratulations to us. Congratulations to our listeners for putting up with us this long. We, we appreciate it. Yes, I would concur with that. I'm I'm amazed you put up with me for a hundred episodes. To be perfectly honest, yeah, I'm amazed too. No, no, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the patience goes in the opposite direction. Uh, it's a two way street, I think, my friend. This 100th episode of, of Exponent is sponsored by MailChimp. MailChimp, send better email, sell more stuff. MailChimp's been around since 2001. They started as a side project funded by various web development jobs. Now they are the world's leading email marketing platform and send more than a billion emails a day. A billion, that's a number a little bigger than 100. But wow. They're close, they're close. We, uh, MailChimp democratizes technology for small businesses, creating innovative products that empower their customers to grow. And our thanks to them for sponsoring this episode, as they do every episode this year. That's awesome, guys. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. So in a fortuitous bit of timing... Uh, I what think are you the- talking about? This was planned all along. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we just straight up didn't, re- didn't release that episode before Christmas. <laughs> this is the real reason why. Uh-huh. In a fortuitous bit of timing, uh, our 100th episode aligns with the 10th anniversary of the iPhone, the 10-100. T- 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 it is so- some degree of, of symmetry there. It is mind-blowing, though, that it's been around for 10 years. It, it's one of these things that's become such a part of everyday life that now I feel like I can, I can only barely remember what life was like before having it. It's just one of those pieces of technology that is now everywhere and is so, is so, it, it's such that you just can't, you can't imagine life being otherwise. It's crazy in 10 years. Yeah, it really, it really, it really is something. And I was talking to my wife about this, and and she, that was her exact reaction to it. And it's, you know, you always have this idea with anniversaries, like, well, it's been so, it's been so fast, or it's been, it's been so long. And and the iPhone, you really get that sort of paradox in, in many respects. Like, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but at the same time, it's almost impossible to imagine life w- without it. Yes, I I completely concur with that. Just just to put it in context, uh, when the iPhone when the iPhone came out, it was or when the iPhone was in again, this was the announcement. It actually came out, came out in June, but but when the iPhone came out, it was about six years after the release of OS ten. So the the official release date of OS ten is is March twenty fourth two thousand and one. So six years later, Apple released or announced the iPhone, and which means we're basically almost twice as far away from the iPhone being released as the iPhone was from OS ten being released. That's also nuts. Gosh, it, it c- considering where Apple was when OS ten, the turnaround since then is pretty phenomenal. It's it's crazy. I mean, different people had different reactions when the iPhone launched, and one of the other fun things to do is to go back and take a look at the different reactions to it being launched. I'm going to claim post event 
and maybe this is a little bit of post-event rationalization, that I knew this was going to be a big deal because a couple of years earlier, I traveled to the States. I'd landed in a ho- uh, in an airport, didn't have a hotel, wanted to book one, and I was trying to get the web up on my Nokia smartphone, and it was just the most shocking experience. And I was like, why don't they have a phone that has a decent web browser, maps, all these things? Like, I know it must be possible, and yet it's so frustrating. And the minute I saw that on stage, I was like, that is what I've been looking for. I need one right now. I had a little bit of the opposite reaction. Like, it was clearly a big deal and important, but maybe just because I'm I'm a geek i had been using the web on my phone since like 2001 like mm. I, I and i'd figured out all the tricks and whatnot to get stuff to work and you know i, I still remember you know the reading on my three line display reading like <laughs> reading like an online or, or one of those what m dot sort of rss reading pages or whatever and then at the end of the month getting my phone bill it was like three hundred dollars i'm like what (laughs) but so so to me when it came out actually and it came out only in the u.s and my brother-in-law actually you know he ordered one from the u.s which was really hard to do and you had to jailbreak it to get it to work uh in in taiwan i was in taiwan at the time and i i got an ipod touch i didn't get i didn't get an iphone and for me and for just because what you know all the hassle and all all that sort of thing, and it took a little while to to I didn't get my own like real iPhone until when I went back to the states in two thousand and nine I think an iPhone three gs mm. and I, it's I don't know like I almost feel it's weird like how could I have not have been all all in on it from from day one I mean, again i had the, I got the iPod touch like the, the moment it came out. But it's still, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird. It, 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 I feel weird that I feel, I want to think of myself as being a very forward sort of thing. And in some respects, I was almost too forward because I had a solution that kind of worked for me. Mm. It, it's like the whole, I've talked about the leapfrog thing, right? Like the US is all on PC, so the, yeah. I think they're less invested in mobile. And I was like, because I was already kind of had the web on my phone, uh, I, it didn't fully register for me, I think, as, as fast as you might think it would have. Well, the one thing that I, I remember caused me skepticism was the the lack of 3G on the initial phone. And every I remember when I'd got a, a Nokia device and it had shifted from 2.5G or whatever it was up to 3G and the difference just being like night and day. And I was a little surprised that Apple had decided not to put a 3G chip in it. Now, I, I'm that was driven probably by a desire to make sure the battery life lasted. A lot of this technology was very early on. And if they'd put a 3G chip in there straight away, I think it would have eaten through battery like nothing else. And like you, I didn't actually get my own one until the 3GS. I, I got over to the States. Uh, I went over in 2008 for business school and everybody was, nobody used texts over there. Everyone was on email. And I I quickly realized that this Nokia device I had was not very good at email. And that if I didn't get one of these things, I was going to miss out on all the social stuff that was happening. I was like, okay, it's time to get one. It has 3G. Like this is, and then once, once you, once you start using it, once you have that browser in your pocket and everything, obviously, just like everybody else in the world right now, you just cannot go back. Yeah, there's so many angles, I think, to talk about this. And, and I think that this 10-year anniversary is meaningful. It's, meaning, it's meaningful not just because of – it's meaningful on multiple dimensions, I would say. It's meaningful for the iPhone specifically. The iPhone deserves being talked about. And what it's meant for Apple and how it came about is is interesting. But it's also meaningful – I think this anniversary matters for, 
from an Android perspective. And it's also, and it matters from a societal perspective and the impact of the smartphone. So I think the way to kind of approach this is to take sort of each of those each of those in parts because they're, they're sort of distinct angles on what has happened over the last 10 years. And yeah, it, it, it really is one of the most important devices and thus one of the most important product announcements ever, not to mention one of the best <laughs> keynotes of, of all time. Totally. And I mean, if you look at where Apple was when that product was announced, then it was well on its way to a recovery versus, say, the late 90s. But it was still not, it was not a dominant player in the tech industry by any stretch of the imagination. That had, that had some success in turning Mac market share around and the iPod had been quite successful. But it has propelled that company to the most valuable uh, company in the world on the back of basically one product and one of the most important companies in the world. And it is uh, to, uh, I mean, I, I know you've described it as such. It's basically the, the most important consumer product ever released. Well, I, I go more than consumer product. Just this is product straight up. What's interesting is if you look at, I mean, just I mean, it's as a proxy. If you look at sort of Apple's stock, I'm trying to get the exact day, uh, January 9th, two thousand seven, and for some reason I can't get that exact day. But on January twelfth, Apple stock was at thirteen dollars and fifty two cents. Uh, at post split, that was that was obviously pre split. It was more. Looking at this graph, it looked like it went up maybe a smidge on the day, but like it barely, it barely. It, Relative to what's happened since then, needless to say, no one really appreciated or understood what was coming. I mean, Apple's you know is literally you know is ten times more valuable today than it was. And again, everyone looks back at the iPod and what a huge deal it was, and it was a huge deal. Like it really, like it was a it was a huge deal. Made Apple a far more valuable and strong company than it had ever been. But it is not even in the same universe as as impact when it comes when it comes to the iPhone just from on Apple specifically this product is illustrative of a number of trends that seem different from what had come beforehand i mean you you look at Bulmer's reaction to it when it first first was released and he's like this is a niche product no one's going to spend $500 on a phone blah 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 and if you and I've probably been guilty of this at times. If you take a look at the way that the PC industry evolved and drew your lessons entirely from that and predicted out what was going to happen, you would think that what happened to the Mac would actually happen to the iPhone. It's it, the, uh, the iPhone is the is. I mean, there are a number of things that were different, but this is one of the times that that a high end device. One of the first times I think that a high end device has actually gone on to end up at least from a like have such a dominant impact on the market uh, for for such an extended period of time because you would predict that low end low end uh, copiers would come along low end providers would come along see how this is done copy it and then undercut it and then it would end up as a complete niche but this is not what's happened at all well the, here is the connection between the iPhone and Exponent because as I think we've related previously, the reason why – so we originally just met on Twitter right around when I started Stratechery. And mm. first time we met in person was was to get coffee in Palo Alto. Mm. And I I believe I had written an article uh, that was entitled What Clayton Christensen Got Wrong. Which irritated you, I believe, would a little be fair, would be a fair <laughs> way would be a fair way of putting it. And that was the entire that was the 
the point of the article was mm. ex- was trying to get at because yeah, your predictions I think come from your you know your understanding having worked with you know Professor Christensen in his you know discussion of how integrating his way to modular and and, and good enough and, and mm. the low prices out in ecosystems and all the, that sort of thing and we decided at that coffee that instead of settling this argument over coffee we should save it and settle it in podcast form and and here and here we are so there is actually a a very strong connection and it's directly related to the point you just made right and I, obviously and i think it, this is a good place to like capture some of those learnings as we've gone along like one of the big ones for me has been like for a device that people use so regularly that becomes such an important part of their day-to-day life that it's really hard to over deliver on the quality of experience if if you use this to interact with all your friends and all your family to do everything from read the latest news to summon an uber to get you to where you need to go actually making sure that everything works reliably seamlessly having delightful delightful moments like that's not it's actually really hard to over deliver on the quality of the experience and that's what had traditionally happened in a lot of other industries that caused low-end disruptors or modular providers to come in and just reduce the price and suck up market share on that basis Exactly, because where the user is the buyer, the market mm. dynamics are very different. And you know, this was the. You, there's lots of w- reasons why the Mac failed. Uh, first and foremost is that actually the Mac never had a chance because Windows dominance was built not on the product; it was built on IBM. And once, and then it was the it was the choke point in that ecosystem, and which we, you know we discussed you know last week that that they really you know rode that rode that to dominance, and the Mac was never really a viable player there because it was it was too late, frankly. And in the eighties, the consumer market was simply not big enough, and any consumers who bought PCs. Because of the ecosystem effects, all the software was on Windows. They just bought they just bought you know Windows computers, and the Mac survived in part because one you know the desktop publishing you know sort of phenomena, but first and foremost because there was a small group of people that cared that still cared about the user experience, and the Mac was better, and so they bought it even though the performance was even though all the things that that. We would predicted what happened with an ecosystem where competition increases performance, drives down price. They that that piece still mattered to them, and then and then you get to the iPhone twenty five years later, and the big difference is that the market dynamics are completely different. The consumer market is way larger, massively larger than the than the PC market was, particularly in the eighties, and that just that changed that changes everything. I mean, it absolutely does. There's another element that completely changed as well, which is the way that software was distributed. And we touched again, we we touched on this a little bit last week, but this notion that you don't need to physically distribute software through stores and instead you can just do it over the internet and it allows it allows developers and, and Apple and developers to aggregate users across the globe. It transformed the nature of what made it attractive for a software developer because now no longer was it that the most users was the most attractive now it were the users that were willing to pay the most that was most attractive whereas if you had retail stores dotted across a country dotted across the world the most important thing for a retailer was actually okay we need to have a certain number of users in a geographic locale in order to support my presence 
it's now no longer the case. It's now the case that it doesn't matter where you're located on the planet. Actually, what matters more is people's willingness to pay. And because Apple had a high-end device with people who are willing to pay a premium, they attracted all the quote-unquote best customers, which then brought more of the developers into the fold who were incentivized to focus on building software for this platform first. And it created this spiral in the opposite direction to the like in a very different way than windows has where windows i mean it used enterprise software to build the 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 user base but a lot of it was like it was a it was people buying low-end commodity hardware and it was just like whoever had the most users whoever had the highest market share now that dynamic had flipped to like it's who has the users that are willing to pay the most to download software on their phone Absolutely, and and this is a lesson that I think that we've applied, you know, broadly. I, I wrote about this last year, and in, in in many respects, a, a build on to this original Christensen piece, which was beyond disruption, and talking about how Uber started on the high end, and and that's actually the preferable way now to approach markets because in in a world where there is free distribution, you. You don't have to focus on the eighty percent, right? It's not about. It used to be you kind of had one shot to 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 get to the market, which means you had to serve the largest number of people, ideally the lowest price possible. Now you can start up and go down, which is the exact opposite of the way things worked before. But that's what happens when you when you know we talk, when you put zero into the business equation, right? The whole thing sort of mm. becomes different, and this is a a perfect example of that. And I would just build on you. You kind of said this about aggregating users all around the world. The, the other, I think, really big lesson. From this, it's kind of implicit in what you said is that absolute numbers matter more than market share. Mm. It, it didn't. It doesn't matter that the iPhone only has like twelve percent market share or whatever, because the absolute number of users is so great that w- like you pass a certain threshold where it doesn't matter. It, it, it's it's good enough to have a sustaining ecosystem, even if Android, which we'll get to in a moment, is mm. is massively larger. I, I would almost venture to say that this was the first time that happened, that that the nature of the smartphone and the way that started to shift the internet and and uh, the and I mean, the iPhone did not launch with the app store built in. It was something that people were clamoring for. And uh, Apple sat on it for a while to make sure they got it right before they launched. But do you think it's fair to say that that is that the iOS ecosystem and the iPhone that that actually represents the first time when that flip actually happened? Yeah, I think I think so. It's a great point, though. I mean, the first time where basically the minor, minority market share ecosystem was actually stronger and a more of a draw and more of a lock in than the majority ecosystem. Yeah, it's it's completely unprecedented, and it's it's really a powerful example and a reminder for for you know us as analysts that don't rely too much on the, on the past because things can change, and when you and no one had ever really thought about the implications of a multi-billion unit market. And one of those implications is that you can be small and, and you can be small in percentage terms and still be massive in, in absolute numbers. It feels like a pretty good point to segue into the other side of that small in percentage terms, which is to look at the the to look at Android as well and the impact that has had. I it it certainly hasn't been as profitable, but in terms of in terms of where uh, experience in the past and looking at looking at integrated versus modular, in terms of where that that still that that 
theory or, or the lessons learned from that research looking at the PC world still holds up is in the area where just in, in, in the number of the sheer volume that was shipped of Android devices and the impact that's had outside of the developed world. Because if you look at places like Africa, India, and lots of lots of Asia, it it's it's mostly folks using Android and uh, smartphones running on Android, and the, the impact that has had has been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, all like the the theory is not wrong, right? Because what happens when you when you have a modular platform? You get competition. The competition both drives performance and drives down prices, mm. and that's exactly what's what's happened. And and so I think if anything, it was just kind of the the. What went wrong in the analysis was kind of the two steps beyond that. Like, what does that mean then going forward? But the mm. actual like play out from a unit perspective on market share, no, it, it's exactly right. And it, it's not just the developed world. I mean, Android is is majority in basically every country in the world. I think. I think maybe the UK is not, but in the, in the US, it, it, it's very close. But I'm pretty sure that that Android is still you know dominant from a from a unit perspective. And I'd add. I think there's a very fair argument to be made that the smartphone market maybe doesn't happen when it does or how it does without Apple. And Apple deserves all the praise and all the credit. And really, you know, this is a point I think you've made repeatedly to approach the market with sort of uh, a fresh perspective and not be locked into the the PC mindset and not be locked into the Mac mindset, you know, specifically. But to come at it like, Let's make a brand new device. But if you're thinking about impact on like world changing impact, the iPhones is only a piece of that. It's Android and the fact that they actually delivered that technology. Yes, Apple invented it, no question. Android ripped them off. Yes, they did. And but to actually get that into the hands of everyone on Earth is just as great a triumph and arguably even greater impact. I remember at the time when Android, it, it kind of started to look a lot more like iOS. It, it had previously looked somewhat different. And then obviously Jobs had this relationship with with um, Eric Schmidt and Schmidt was on the Apple board. And as this all began to take shape, there was a pretty monstrous falling out. And then all the lawsuits began. Um I can't help but feel I, I haven't changed my opinion on this at all, I, and it's not like Apple's done poorly out of it, uh, out of the iPhone either, and and having Android copy it. But it is, I just feel like in terms of impact on society, not even society, impact on the planet, and getting this device into as many hands as possible. And the the massive change that has wrought in the planet. This is one of these instances where actually having people copy you is is a good thing. And a lot, so much of technology is based on taking other people's ideas and building on top of them, or seeing them and copying them. And you you end up competing on the basis of being able to innovate. And I would actually argue it's helped Apple. Um, in that lawsuit against, I think they went after Samsung, right, as well. They they uh, it, it came out that a whole bunch of the executives were looking at the largest screen Samsung devices, and that was something that they brought to market, and that Apple later copied back from them. And uh, now you look at it, it's it's also everybody, not everybody, but a large proportion of Apple's iPhone sales are now these large screen devices. Would they have figured that out without Samsung copying them and taking all those devices out into the mass market? 
Who knows? You could actually, in many respects, the smartphone market ended up being incredibly fair, <laughs> like if that mm. makes sense. Like Apple yeah. has reaped the most profit by far. Right. And meanwhile, and at the same time, everyone has access to to this technology. Like it, it, if if you could, if every market could play out the way the smartphone market mm. did, that would be great for the world because you have all the incentive and all the reward for the innovator. At, yet everyone on earth gets access to it. You don't have to be rich to 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 have a smartphone. Maybe it's a happy accident of history, but it worked out perfectly. It worked out well for Apple. It worked out well for the world. It worked out well for for you know Google. Hey, thumbs up to everyone. Yeah, I I I I, I would concur with that. The reason why that matters and why Android is just as important piece of this, again, like it's so easy to get, this is taking nothing from Apple and Apple deserves all the credit they get and arguably even more credit credit than they get. I mean, it's hard to overstate where really because there it's not like smartphones didn't exist before like you had your nokia there was you know blackberry microsoft had their thing everyone thought you know google thought microsoft was going to win the whole market that's why a big reason why they bought android in the first place before the iphone came out but to like take a nascent market and to basically completely and utterly transform it (laughs) basically in an instant is is it's remarkable and it's really a testament to how brilliant the product was and 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 the and the development was but again it's that's so visible that's what we see right it's it's a lot harder to appreciate the things under the surface it's a lot harder to appreciate like samsung for example it's hard to appreciate that for Samsung, what was Samsung good at? Samsung was really good at manufacturing. And they were really good at distribution. They had relationships with carriers and the mom. Like I, I can walk down my street right now, and there's a little mom and pop shop selling phones, and it's got a Samsung sign on it, right? Like they, they have that sort of network, and then they lev- And so, what do they do instead of where this is where Nokia really screwed up? Instead of trying to compete with Apple on Apple's playing field. Mm. They sort of said, okay, we're going to use Android, and that's going to be the same as everyone else, but that's okay because that's not our strength. Our strength is in our manufacturing and distribution, and we will grind everyone else to dust, and that's basically exactly what they did, and that's like that's why Nokia was such a screw-up with the whole Windows thing. Like They tried to differentiate on the software side, and Nokia phones have like Nokia has always tried to differentiate on the software side, and they've always failed. Like Nokia's success was Samsung. It was being is manufacturing, it was distribution. Samsung modeled itself after Nokia, and when the critical point came, when the when Apple showed this is how things are going to be, Nokia forgot who they were and tried to compete with Apple, and Samsung doubled down on who they were. And yes, they got lots of grief and they got sued by Apple, and everyone's saying they're a copycat. But guess what? Would you rather be Samsung today, or would you rather be Nokia? <laughs> I mean that that's a pretty that's a uh, that's the ultimate in rhetorical questions. As you were saying that, <laughs> would, I was would, thinking, would, you, would you rather be alive or would you rather be dead? Yeah, I, I'd choose dead any day of the week. Not really, <laughs> but I was thinking the same thing about BlackBerry. I I I feel like 
So when I was making the so uh, I was at business school uh, like you around just after the iPhone had been released and I was making a decision around doing an internship and I had the opportunity to go to Apple or to BlackBerry like those were the two companies that I was most interested in ended up picking Apple and I'm quite glad about it but I ended up thinking about I the 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 fact that that had almost been a possibility that I'd almost ended up in Waterloo for the summer uh, meant that I spent a lot of time thinking about how BlackBerry should have responded as well. And they fell into the exact same trap that you described. Rather than recognizing their strengths, which was the, the security, the enterprise-level stuff, and potentially if you want to do your own hardware, the fact they had this keyboard that people loved, maybe they could pull in BlackBerry Messenger as well. Instead of recognizing those as their differentiated strengths, they tried to recreate the whole stack. And the nature of these operating system wars is such that once two players have a start and you start getting developers on board, it becomes this, uh, you get this OS lock-in where you have users going there because of the apps and then more developers going there because you have users and it becomes very hard to catch up. And I think BlackBerry should have taken exactly the same approach that uh, that you say with Nokia should have done. Uh, they should have recognized their strengths, abandoned where they weren't strong, which is in, in trying to create an operating system which was clearly not what their their expertise was, and built an enterprise-level version of what they had on top of Android. And it would have given them much more of an opportunity to survive than what ended up playing out. Maybe. I I think RIM was the most screwed, honestly. And the reason is that the business model. RIM's business model was selling differentiated hardware. Mm. And and they used their services to to differentiate that hardware where they made a pro- profit on it. Mm. And and yes, theoretically, they should have switched to their services being the, the revenue profit driver. They tried to do that late in life, but it was too late by that point, mm. really. I think they're still mildly trying. But but switching their your business model from a high absolute value, absolute dollar, uh, high margin to a services model, th- like that's – that's about the most difficult transition transition possible. Media surgery. Where, whereas Nokia was already competing on the cost basis, right? And the two traditional models are you could differentiation or or cost cost mm. leader. Nokia was the cost leader, and they they were the distributor, all that all that sort of thing. So I think they could have much more cleanly pivoted. Mm. And so Nokia's screw up was not just that they they tried to switch their business model needlessly. The correct business model they already had, and they tried to switch to a differentiated based business model, and it was it was loony. Whereas app an iPhone was just a way better BlackBerry from a business model perspective. They they had the same business model. Yes, BlackBerry is better in the enterprise, but the iPhone because that was all a software problem. And so the I, Apple and to Apple's credit, I think one of the most underrated things about about the iPhone's development was how rapidly Apple added enterprise support. And that kind of shocked everyone at the time because everyone thought that you know Apple had never been strong in the enterprise, but by Version two, they'd added stuff. By version three, they'd added a ton of enterprise stuff, and it actually became the case by like 2009-2010, the iPhone was the best enterprise device on the market. I think BlackBerry was the other one, but BlackBerry was was you know pretty clearly screwed by that point. And you know this was where, and if you want to get into this, where Microsoft also really went wrong by not fo- like when Windows Phone came out, it had no enterprise support and no enterprise support for like two or three years. It, it just a complete. But I think Microsoft would have had a hard time anyway because you know Android 
again, Android was their business model, but better because it was free. Mm-hmm. When someone when someone has your same business model and they're superior on the attributes that matter to that business model, like you're you're fucked. I mean, but and that was the case for Windows, and that, that was the case for Microsoft, and that was the case for Rim. Nokia is the one that really screwed up. They could have succeeded, but they didn't, and basically for reasons of hubris, not for reasons of like it was impossible to do. It was incredibly smart of Apple to make the the recognition of how important enterprise support was because I think I think the realization that they had and they might have had a little bit of this with the Mac earlier on that people were buying it in the home and wanting to use it elsewhere but struggling because it lacked for things that were required at work. But the nature of smart the nature of phones in general is you don't want multiple devices in your pocket and if you have people with a device that they love so much they want to use it for their work as well uh if you don't support that stuff with work then what ends up happening is there's one slot for phone and it gets forced out by the requirements of your it department to say you've got to use this because it requires it requires this security this enterprise support and if it doesn't you can't use this at work and there are some people who are pretty hardcore about things that'll carry around two phones but most people don't want to do it to have properly addressed all those concerns was just a super smart move and i also think that in part it might have been driven by the fact that a lot of the apple employees wanted to use this as their their device and apple is super secretive and needed all that enterprise support to make sure you could use the device at work and so they're probably there's probably an element of dog fooding that that helped them get there but it was it was a very wise move to to focus on that and and allay it as a concern and and then get it to the point where actually you could speak to an it manager about this device and it was one of the best devices out there in terms of enterprise support you're one of the most powerful things about the iPhone. And really, the iPhone, what Apple did with the iPhone, it doesn't fall under aggregation theory because it's a hardware device. And so it doesn't, it doesn't scale to the degree internet services are, but sort of by definition, like the transaction costs are significant. Mm-hmm. But the core sort of piece of aggregation theory in which by owning the user, you gain power over your suppliers, the iPhone is one of the most powerful examples of this and the enterprise is one but the other one is just apple's relationship with carriers generally the way that app one of the mm. the way that apple basically so they say apple one you know one of the best examples is japan the japanese market everyone said apple's going to fail there and they're going to see it and the japanese market was very had been ahead in in phones by a huge degree and they had all these services and stuff like that and a lot of them were were, were developed by by nt docomo and it was pretty dominant in japan apple went in to the third place carrier in Japan, uh, which which was SoftBank, uh, the name of the second one escapes me. I think it's K something. But they were they were pretty small at that point, and the reason they went there was because you know to NT Docomo wanted to put all their own services on there, and they didn't want to have you know all all the things you had in any country. But I think in Japan it was the most stark, just because those. Those services were actually used and meaningful. They weren't like the U.S. services where the carriers were trying to slap stuff on and no one ever actually used it. In Japan, they were used. It was a very powerful thing. So Apple goes and goes into the third place carrier with SoftBank, and people wanted and people the, the user experience was so superior, it was so good that people actually switched their carrier 
to get it. And this was unprecedented. Again, this is another one of those things where if you looked at the history of the telecom of the cell phone markets, this didn't happen. And so you would have missed and so everyone made all these predictions. Oh, people never switched their carriers, blah, 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 blah. People did switch their carrier for the iPhone. And what happened was then SoftBank increased their market share hugely. And at the end of the day, NT Docomo came to Apple on Apple's terms. And you saw this, you see this in the US with Verizon. Verizon, you know, Apple offered to Verizon first. Verizon said no. And when, when Verizon got it, it came on Apple's terms. Same with the smaller like Sprint and all those guys. And, and not only did they come on Apple's terms with no carrier add-ons and no extra apps and no labeling, like Apple would go into these countries and they would actually dictate you have to sell 15 million units. You have to dedicate X million dollars to marketing. You have to, in every store, have a thing for iPhone. And they had this massive list of demands that the carers had no choice. Why? Because customers cared more about having an iPhone than they cared what carrier that they were on. And that was unprecedented. And, and there, it, there's all kinds of interesting effects on that. Like I think one of the reasons Apple's forecasts and numbers have gotten much more less accurate the last couple of years is because they don't have like they're already on every carrier so they don't have like they could chalk up oh this carrier has agreed to sell 15 million iPhones we know exactly how, how many phones are going to sell right where we're now it's a, it's a lot fuzzier but all that sprang from owning the user experience and that's a that was a new thing i don't think we'd ever seen a company dictate to its suppliers who as you think about it it's the carriers that invested trillions of dollars in their networks. They should have had market power, right? We com we complain about the cable companies having monopoly because they invested so much money in the infrastructure and they can't have any challengers. Well, that was that's the same case in the cell phone market, but people cared so much about the user experience in having the iPhone that it gave Apple all this power even though the carriers spent way more money. And and again, another another sort of big picture lesson from from the iPhone it's uh, and if you think about just the way that you describe the Nokia's and the Samsungs of the world, that previously, if you'd the trick to the trick to being successful with a device was to make sure it was distributed everywhere. Right. Like if people, I mean, you're right. People wouldn't switch carriers. There was no device ever that was so compelling that would you would go through the hassle of porting a number if number portability wasn't even an option in your country, which it wasn't always. And in, in, in many respects, by there were some even some advanced markets by the late 2000s where that had only just been recently introduced. It was a real pain. Like carriers made it difficult on the way out and then on the way in. And there'd never been a device that had been uh, that had been so good that you would be like, well, you know what? I'm going to go through all the hassle of switching. And it was the same with carriers as with devices. There was either a differentiated strategy around we're going to have the best network or there was a low cost strategy, which is we're going to have really great prices and people had chosen their carrier based on that and that a device had come along and completely overridden that dynamic and also that apple was smart enough to recognize that uh that this device would cause people to switch. I mean, it would have been very easy for them to slip into, we've got this fantastic device, we need to get it out into people's hands, and to just fall into the trap of doing what, what lots of folks have done and just said, well, this is the way to bring a phone to market. Uh, we should just do the do what the, the done way of doing things and get it out there, and we'll go speak to the carriers. And 
Again, one of these things that you forget how bad it was. I remember you'd get these versions of Nokia phones and everybody would have their own proprietary, every carrier would have their own proprietary operating system, which would introduce weird bugs. And you'd be waiting endlessly for software updates to come. And they'd come for the general device, but then they wouldn't come for the version of the carrier that you had and you just had to live with the bug. And Apple, using this power, said no to all of that. And that was just... uh, And that accentuated their power, right? Because that actually increased their their right. user experience differentiation. To use the the Steve Jobs term, it was like you you were in the desert and someone had, you were dying of thirst in the desert and someone gave you a cool glass of water. It was just a complete revelation that and you wonder why it wasn't done like this. And the way they just leveraged the carriers off each other and sure start with the top, but if number one doesn't want to come to the table, go to number two or number three who's like eager to try and make it up. And then it becomes the prisoner's dilemma because the longer that carrier number one holds out, the more market share they lose, they're going to eventually be forced to the table anyway as this device becomes more and more popular, more and more developers come on, more and more of these apps get developed, more people start hearing about how fantastic it is and all these things that you can only do on the iPhone, and then you, you're eventually going to come begging, and the longer you hold out, the more you, the more customers you bleed in the meantime. Yeah, you're you're not going to win those back for the same reason that people don't like to switch carriers, right? Yeah, like that right. effect doesn't go away. It's it, it, it's still there. You can look at the iPhone as a product and praise Apple for thinking differently or think different. You know that they didn't try to cram a PC into a phone form factor like you mm. know like Microsoft had done. But this is uh, again when you look at the other. There's so much about the iPhone that's so. Revolutionary and the distribution strategy is one of them. You just said it. They didn't do it the way that it was done before. They did it their own way. And maybe, you know, it's, it, you could have a debate is that because Apple actually thought this through or because Apple is just being Apple? <laughs> They're like, no, we want it to be our experience. It's probably a little bit of the former, mm. but it ended up turning into this incredible strategy that, again, was a presage for that really is the strategy now is to deliver something so superior that you get that critical mass of consumers that gives you power over your suppliers and you you commoditize them. And again, this is where I wrote about the operating system last week, but the way you achieve that position today is very, very different. It used to be that you got that position by owning, by getting into the distribution channel and owning a critical part. That's what Windows did. Windows achieved dominance because of IBM. And you know it was DOS then, but the, then that that built into Windows. The way Apple achieved dominance and the way you achieve dominance generally today is totally different. You achieve dominance by delivering that superior user experience, and then it all flows from there. And what's interesting is, you know, I've written about the difference between like products and platforms, and how Apple mm. struggles to be a, a, a platform company, whereas Microsoft has always been a great platform company. This is where that sort of difference. That's why it's a bigger issue today. Because to become a platform today, you need to be a great product first. And what happens is you get these products that end up becoming platforms by sheer force of scale. I make no mistakes. iOS is a huge platform. I still think it's a terribly managed platform, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a good platform because of the scale that comes from being a great product. I think Microsoft is still a great platform company, but they they can't get to that position because they're not a good product company, and 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 it's just a really sort of shift in in because the way you get to that position is different today. It, 
the the nature of the companies that are in that position is different than mm. they were, you know, before. Mm. It's uh, it's it's almost like you're launching a rocket, and you have the the boosters that get you uh, uh, the initial inertia to escape gravity, but then it needs to drop the boosters and focus on actually getting out into orbit. It's like a different a different thing. The most important part of this is we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the impact of the internet and mm. how the internet has changed all the rules of business, how it's changed, it's impacting society, how, you know, it's, I, I put it in this article, like it, it's, I think it's fundamentally changing the world in a way that people aren't really appreciating. Like, I think we're, I think we will look back in not too long and, be shocked at the degree to which things have changed. And, and yes, it's been 10 years, but I think we're only on the beginning of this of this sort of shift. And I say 10 years because the, the smartphone is critical to that. Yeah. This, the internet is what it is, but it's the smartphone making the internet available everywhere. Like they are, they are two halves. There are two peas in a pod. They, they're inseparable. When you look back and you see how the world will have changed, as I believe it will, and when I say that I think the the in the long run the internet is on the level of the industrial revolution, it will reshape society, it will reshape government, mm. it will reshape. I think it will reshape the form of nation states. Like all these, like and you can see all this stuff, all the tension that's that that's in the world right now. And you had this balance. Think about like uh, a centrifuge, and there, there's the balance between like. Or, or, or like orbiting. You talk about orbiting, right? It's, it's a centrifugal force on one side and sort of gravity on the other, and they need mm. to be in balance. And I think that balance is off right now. And the reason I think it's off is because of the access, perfect access to anything and everything in the world, anywhere we are at any time. And the big part of that is the internet, but none of that matters if it was still just on our desks. I don't think we'd be in the situation we were if we had to sit at our desk to access the internet. This is the thing uh, as we've had this conversation and it, 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 it the, the, the way, the fact that it was called the internet before the smartphone and after the smartphone and you hear people saying it's changing the world, the, the, the smartphone is such a prerequisite for all these things happening because previously it did just sit on the desk and it was oftentimes a family shared a computer and it was only in the home it wasn't a one to one relationship and it wasn't it wasn't pervasive it wasn't with you everywhere but now these things are in your pocket and they it's almost like an an avatar on the internet you have this thing that that digitally represents you wherever you go and you can dip into that pool you can tell you can get location services you can get a map you can tell a, a, a company where you physically located and that you want something to happen right now and the the difference between internet version one which was it just sat on the desk it might have represented on a computer it might have represented more than one person and internet version two where the assumptions are when you see an ip address like this in an app you can assume it is one person you can assume it is in exactly the right location like you can find out all this information that richness that like the fact that it's it's effectively digitized every single person and it's made the internet so much more powerful because everyone providing a service it can now safely make that assumption like it's it's changed it to the extent that calling them the same thing yes they travel over the same communication protocols but the ability to do stuff with it is so different that calling it the same thing is almost a misnomer 
I, I completely agree. And if you if you sort of step back from sort of a meta level, it used to be as long as on the desktop, the internet was a place you went to. Whereas the mobile erased that boundary. I was mm. reading this, this sort of anecdote about about an octopus. Like octopuses are super like freaky creatures, right? Mm. And what's in an octopus, like there's actually more neurons in its arms than there are in its oh. head. Like actually the esophageal tube is all in the head, it's like that. And, and the arms have their own memory and, the, and all oh, this wow. sort of stuff's going on. And basically it's almost impossible with an octopus to know where the brain ends and the body begins. Mm. It's, it's, like an octopus is basically like a floating brain. Right. And this is what mobile did for the internet. It, 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 it used to be very clear where the wor- real world ended and the internet began. Now there is no more barrier. Every moment of every day, we are on the internet, always. And at some points, we're actively interacting. We have the phone out, we're looking at sort of stuff. But the 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 whether it's sending our 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 location, our data, or whether it's just the fact that it's it's so immediately available if we need it to be. Convenience is the most underrated and critical factor in understanding the impact of technology. The, the smallest sort of shift in convenience massively changes the viability or impact of a technology. And you t- and this wasn't a small shift. This was a gargantuan shift in convenience and access, which basically had a multiplying factor on the impact of the internet. And you end up with this beyond exponential sort of sort of change. Yeah, the the ability to remove friction is is just one of these things that once you start doing it, the things that you unlock as a result are are just incredible. It goes for good and it goes for bad as well, though, right? Oh, for sure. Well, but, but just just to step back a moment, I mean, you remove. There was two. There's multiple frictions that were removed all at once. There was the distribution friction we talked about on the internet. There was a transaction mm. cost friction, but there was the physical friction. The, the access to it and it, it's it's all this stuff happened and it all happened all at the same time and all together and that's why these changes are so jarring we can barely keep up with them and again I believe the vast majority of people have have barely grokked a fraction of the changes that are coming like our, everything in our society was built on, on friction it's built on the friction and distribution is about the friction and accessing information, and that's where companies are built. That's where societies held together. Like if you think about, you literally nail two boards together. Like what that is, it's basically a massive amount of friction, right? That if you want to get like into the, the physics of it, and you remove friction in multiple places all at once, and that's why you we have that's that's why the world's kind of crazy right now, and it's going to get crazier. I, I mean, I, I, and you say crazy, and I can't help but uh, think about what's happened in, for example, the U.S. political system over the course. It's of not the just last the U.S. It's happened in every. It's happening in every country. Right, but I mean, this is a candidate that has, in the same way that a a company went is now able to bypass traditional distribution channels and 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 get the phone and get software to people and basically speak to the end consumer, cut out more and more of the middleman, and the friction is reduced in terms of gaining access to things. It's the same thing that's now happening. It, it's you're right. It's not just happening in the U.S., but it's like the the most obvious example I can think of where you have a a a political candidate, well, he's not even a candidate anymore, the, the, the president-elect of the United States, who built a campaign uh, going direct to people and bypassing all the machinery that was previously required to 
to that, that was built up in order to reach uh, voters, to reach uh, citizens, and it's just no longer required because everybody is wandering around with a smartphone in their pocket, and he can send out 140 characters and reach them instantaneously wherever they are. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's what it's completely correct. And this is one of the great discomforts I had this entire election cycle. I I wrote a little bit about this, you know, back March about about how the the, the landscape is totally different and and why the parties didn't have the power that they did and it was tied to the demise of the media and Facebook and sort of stuff. But so many of the reasons why we were told that 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 Hillary Clinton would win were all dependent on the old system. It was being that average advertising and the average and mobilizing people. And you're right. All that was based on mastering machinery that was was becoming obsolete. And I, I certainly didn't expect that uh I didn't expect Trump to win. You know, be, because actually the polling had been actually very predictive throughout, like the primary cycle. Like the pro, it said Trump was winning all along, it, it, as far as that goes. It's, I thought that would obviously that, whatever, but no, you're 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 exa- you're exactly right. You're for all whatever you want to say about Trump, he and the guy you know doesn't use a computer, like has his emails printed out, whatever. He is the most forward and most modern candidate. By uh, and there's no one even in his in his no one close to him. There's no one even close to him. Yeah, I mean, set aside set which I, I get is difficult. Set aside everything else. If you just focus on tactics and operating in the world as it is, not as it was, and that, you know that's the other thing, James. Is the world changes before everything else sort of happens. Like we are in the future. I think the future. You know, all, we're, I'm talking about all these societal changes, all these political changes, which we're already seeing. But this is what happens: we're there, we're already there. It just like the inertia of the way things were and the way it carries you. It's like Nokia in BlackBerry. No, BlackBerry hit its all-time stock high, I, I think, in 2010 or something like that. Mm. But they were screwed for years before then. Mm, mm. And you know, I I think we're see, we saw that in our politics. The way to win elections had already changed, but it, it took someone to actually not do it the old way and do it the new way. And I think that's the case for all kinds of things in our society. There's lots of stuff that is going by on inertia alone. And what happens when 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 you realize your the ground is gone underneath you? I mean, it, it's it's just the person that's able to recognize it early and take advantage of it. And uh, the, the extent to which you think about the way that campaign was run, speaking directly to voters, like getting in touch with them directly. Uh, I, I, I mean, the, the element the element that of, of him always being newsworthy and just taking advantage of people always talking about him maybe doesn't fit so much. But you think about going directly to voters digitally and then and it creating an experience in person once you have that connection with voters, which you see these massive rallies where people... People turn up and they they feel this deep connection. So it's this digital speaking directly there and augmenting it in the real world with his presence as much as he could. And those rallies, like I read accounts of them, a they were huge, and b they people were really bought in. And if they like, they left feeling really bought in. And the way that he took advantage of those two things to speak directly to people as opposed to the traditional way of going through the machines and going through the political parties. It's, it was just unparalleled. 
Yeah, it really was. I, I concluded the, the 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 voters decide piece by saying the term quote user experience obviously refers to a product. I, this is after a quoting aggregation theory. In the case of politics, it is apparently at least in the case of some substantial number of Republican voters. Again, this was back in the primary, not, not, not the general election, mm. but it certainly certainly applies. It is, at least in the case of some substantial number of Republican voters, quote, telling it like it is, i.k. what voters, not parties, believe. And then I had a, a graphic from the New York Times that basically every – the number one indicator of people who vote for Trump was that they want a politician who, quote, told it like, like it is, which was probably another way of saying telling them what they wanted to hear. But that's – that. like we just talked about that. You give the users what they want. You deliver on things they really care about. And all the other stuff that you thought mattered doesn't. It doesn't matter that people, quote unquote, won't switch carriers. It doesn't matter that Apple's not an enterprise company. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you actually give people what they want. And that's what Trump did. Yeah. And in this context, that this, uh, it's, and again, the, the parallels that you draw back to the Industrial Revolution and that we have during this podcast are apt. But it's it's fascinating to me how we now have these devices that are and that that are bringing people uh, that have given us the ability to uh, bring people from all around the world potentially closer together than ever before. You can tweet or send it. I mean, obviously, email people, but you just have access to people and access to information on this level that has never. It's it's almost unparalleled, and yet at the same time, as a result of these forces that are being unleashed, there's in in other areas there's almost this backlash against what that represents, and a, a, a desire to wind back to um to 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 think to to a time potentially when this wasn't the case, and where it, it, there was more friction in society, and it was harder for for whether it was a job to be shipped offshore or for a product to come from somewhere else or for for someone uh, from another country to come and move in next door to me. Like, it feels like these two, like, it's almost a backlash against that. And I I think, I don't think, I don't think it's unfair to, to, uh, to, to, to say that a lot of this started, or at the very least accelerated a lot with the launch of that device, the iPhone, 10 years ago. Yeah, well, yeah, it, the, you're talking about symptoms, though. The The world did get, people did get brought closer together. The difference is that they got closer to the people they actually wanted to be closer to all along. We were close to people in our community. We were close to people in our county. We were close to people in our state. We were close to people in our country because they were geographically close to us. Now, on the internet, and with that, this device with us all the time and that Facebook feed right there all the time, we can be close to the exact sort of people we want to be close in. You can be sitting in the, on the other side of the world. I can be sitting here, and I enjoy talking to you, and we can do that. And you can be sitting in Wisconsin, and you can feel much more affinity, whether cultural affinity or racial affinity or whatever affinity it might be, with someone in South Carolina than you do with someone in, say, Madison, Wisconsin, like where which is culturally could not be more different from the rest of the state by and large. And so, yes, actually people are being brought together. They're just being brought together. It, it was silly. In retrospect, it was silly to think that it would reinforce geographic proximity. The entire story of the internet is that geographic proximity becomes meaningless. It yeah. used to be everything. 
And now it doesn't matter at all. What matters is you can be with exactly the people you want to be with. And this is why, like I talked about nation states, I talked about all this stuff. Be, like this is that that this that centrifuge being knocked out of whack, and the centrifugal forces on our society because the gravity, the gravity in society was geography. That mm, is what held yeah. things together. And now geography doesn't matter. The gravity at the center of the centrifuge is dramatically reduced, and the centrifugal forces of, of people pursuing their own passions, pursuing their own beliefs, pursuing their own whatever it might be, those are just overwhelming everything. And stuff's, and that's why stuff's tearing apart. It's because what's being torn apart? What's being torn apart was in the age of the internet, something that was artificial. And so we, we think about this as being a fracturing, but that's because we can't imagine a world different than the one we live in right now. The world we live in right now is, is no different than we presume we will watch a commercial on TV, get in our car, drive to Walmart, buy it from Tide Detergent from Procter & Gamble and take it home. That exists on inertia right now. That's a If you ever actually back up and start from scratch, it's a dumb way to live. It's way better to say, okay, I won't say the name of the device because I know we made a lot of people mad last week. Okay, device, order some more laundry detergent. Like If you think about it, that's obviously the way it should work. It's it's fun and interesting and wow, look at the future when you talk about it in the context of laundry detergent. It's a whole lot more terrifying, yet equally inevitable, I would argue, when you think about it in the context of society. I I described these devices earlier as as uh, effectively creating avatars for us on the internet and that what you just said is is such a perfect articulation of the consequence of doing that 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 what the smartphone has done has effectively abstracted away this notion for for a whole lot of things not for everything but for a whole lot of things the notion of location it's now just increasingly increasingly meaningless that we can reach people anywhere in the world as a result and that all this uh, in that sense a lot of this swing back on the other side is people reacting to the fact that actually for a variety of reasons that we're tribal creatures that we're in our cultures and there are elements of our cultures that we like and we want to protect and uh, that, that, that a lot of these forces are reactionary exactly to that it's the case in anything. Like when you remove a constraint, like stuff reorders, like whatever was the next constraint becomes dominant and, and everything that's in there reorders itself. I, I, I always say that I, I like to write about media and newspapers in particular because what happened to newspapers is a parable for what is going to happen to every part of society. And this is the most perfect example. What happened in newspapers is that when geography was removed as a constraint yeah. – the entire thing fell apart, and there is no recovery. It's over. Right now, it's been 15 years of scrambling to figure it out. That's going to happen. That, that's happening to, to, to countries. It's happening to the United States. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily convinced that the approach of trying to wind it back and putting up balls where, I, where, uh, is, is necessarily going to be the right approach. But that applies to both it. sides. It doesn't yeah. – yes, all these – Lots of people are nostalgic for a world where everyone worked at the at the factory job, or mostly white men. But but you can you can mock that and say you're hoping for something that doesn't exist, and that's absolutely true. But that exact same critique goes to so many people on the other side. They want to go back to a world where where 
we're governed by all these common norms and and, and that that are based on nothing. They're they're based on a world that doesn't exist anymore. And yes, from like particularly on like social issues and stuff, you can be very strongly aligned with with one one side of the divide or or, or the other. But when you consider who is actually really locked into the status quo, I I I would argue a lot of people in technology in particular are actually more locked into the status quo than, than the other people. Again, because they have the most to lose. The system's working pretty well. It's working pretty well if you're a, a knowledge worker. It's working pretty well if you're in technology. It's working pretty well if you're in the Bay Area, which means you you have no incentive to switch. You're Nokia. You're making a ton of money. Why 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 change what you're doing? When you're when you're Apple, when you when you when you lost the, the PC wars, and yes, you have a nice little success of the iPod, but the, but but you have why, why not build this new product? Apple, like why not? Yes, we're replacing the iPod. Good for us, but we're replacing with an with a device that is more capable and has a higher margin. Uh, that's a scary train of thought because the obvious answer to the rhetorical question is if you don't do it, somebody else is going to. Yes, and, and that's is, what's happening. That's what happened. Yeah. Trump did it because he had no other option. He couldn't go through the party. So he did it a new way. I, again, I don't think he's some sort of technological genius that figured this out in strategy. He did it because he had no choice. The other issue with that is it's given its uh, – I mean, and we've observed this problem – uh, we've observed, or I would say, observed this phenomenon with technology companies on this podcast that it's so rarely the same company that goes on to dominate two generations in a row because you become so locked into the way things are and you don't want to change and you can't see it through any other angle. And it tends to be the the one that has is down and out that comes along and figures out how to. Uh, how to dominate this next generation? Now, I don't want to draw the parable, the the parallel too far, but the way that it's the way that it's uh, the way that that would suggest it plays out is not one that's necessarily going to be friendly to to the tech industry. It's one that's not friendly to the United States, frankly. Yeah. Anyhow, we could we could go on that topic for a very long time, but uh, and and that in itself is a testament to why why this anniversary matters. Like I'm not, ne- I'm not usually one to get sentimental about these sorts of things, but it, it is a momentous event. It is, it is a day in history that will be remembered and not remembered just because like we love Steve Jobs and because it was a really cool device. It will be remembered because on January 9th, 2007, a product was introduced that completely changed every part of society and, 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 and watch the podcast. And launched the podcast. I saw that meeting with um, the the meeting between the tech leaders and uh, President Elect Trump, and obviously Tim Cook was in attendance. And I wondered at the time what Jobs's reaction would be, whether he'd be there, and what he would have said. And it's it's interesting as a result of this conversation, thinking about it in a funny kind of way that the the linkages between those two events uh, are. Are, more, are present in a way that until we'd had this conversation, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that I didn't even realize they were there. Yeah. Well, you said my piece this week was 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 different than usual. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, you, it's a little clearer now what what I was driving at. Totally. It's I. It's 
the notion of abstracting away geography and this being a device that begins this notion of taking us more out of the physical world and more into the digital world in so many ways and the impacts that's having it's uh, yeah it's it's definitely worth focusing on and commemorating i think i i agree very good. Well, uh, that's the 100th episode in the bag, and our thanks to Mailchimp for for sponsoring it. And it's as always, it has been good for 100 episodes to talk to you, James, and it was good again today. Yes, Ben, thank you, and thank you to everybody who's been listening for 100 episodes. This this conversation is always fun, and getting the feedback that we get from people all around the planet is just one of the things that makes us most fun. All the the nice reviews, the tweets, everything that everybody does to support us, we're both incredibly grateful for it. We are. We are indeed. Uh, Well said. All right. Well, on that note, I will speak to you next week. All right. Talk to you later. Have a good one. I don't know if you caught on, but we also did the closing the opposite way as well. (laughs) I I did notice that, actually. But I didn't notice that until um, uh, I didn't notice that until I'd already said it. Well, well, led you right into that one.